Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up later on, there is a man going to court to fight for the right of people to go to mass during level five. Also, more and more stories about classes losing teachers in the middle of a pandemic. There's a slew of it going on. We have another incident of it this morning. And plenty more besides. But first, I mean, come on now. Like, but first, going lateral, this. Going right across the field or still back in the middle of the field. Every Kelly man behind the ball. Sean Meehan in. It's going to be everything. Sean Meehan in possession. We're inside the final 10 seconds. How much more is Derek O'Mahony going to add on? Means broke through two tackles. They still have an opportunity for a score. Walked it across over here over towards Damien Gore. Gore's after coming onto the field. Luke Connolly, 15 seconds after the call. Connolly goes on shot. It's high. It's high. He's going to land inside the parallelogram. Still inside the edge square. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Mackin! Mackin! Has got the goal! Would you believe it? 21 minutes on the clock! Cook! I've got the goal! What is left of it? Did he? By two points! Colleen! And it's all over! Would you believe it? Cook! Have won! I've blocked! Carry out! It's unbelievable! <laughs> Absolutely amazing! <laughs> Pat Mulcahy, did you retrieve your vocal cords from the back of the net afterwards? Just about, PJ. Yeah, just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually, I, I tell you, it's actually cringing actually listening to us. No, so it's brilliant, my friend. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Not to mind the dancing Egypt next to you. How are you, Finney? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, Ken Parrott has a lot to answer for. Oh, he's, He's made you both viral. Well, he just made me more famous than I actually am, I suppose. <laughs> but lads, what describe the moment to me? Like I, I have to say, I didn't see the match. I was watching a movie. I was watching the results, the stores coming in on Twitter and stuff like that. But at the death, literally, like. I suppose, PJ, it's, the comparison was made with 1983 when Tiger Murphy done the very same thing. And, you know, I was there that day. I was at the other end of the road. I actually got a dig off a of Kerry supporter because I was kind of slagging up when we got the goal. It was it was unreal. I mean, it was it was the greatest game of football, but obviously Cork had a game plan. They set it out and they kept at it and kept at it right throughout the game. And I was, we were all with someone kick it and maybe force penalties, but... When I went in, I, I I know you saw the video. I actually did not know 
who got the goal till someone told me because <laughs> that's the best bit like we, who got it I know yeah, who got it who got it yeah. I didn't and I, I generally didn't know you didn't care either it said no <laughs> I tell you, know, it was incredible, and I, I just saw so, so pleased for the footballers. Yeah, I'm watching them a long, long time, and they've suffered at the hands of Kerry more than anyone. And to do that to those guys yesterday, oh, there's no better way to beat Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I suppose at the time we're doing this too, when it's the totally wrong time of the year in an empty yeah. stadium in the pouring rain, people were clinging to the radios and the televisions yesterday for that moment. Pat, did, did you did you lose it consciously? Did you realise you were losing it totally? Like No, but I, I, I just think you're... I was just caught up in the moment. You know, there's nobody there. You're trying to describe a game, put a picture to us, but I, I don't think I realised how bad it was, or as you would say, how good it was until I got home. <laughs> but again, it's just a moment, and I suppose the story about Mark Keane, like for people that don't know, he, he's after signing a contract two years ago as a rookie out in Australia with, with Collingwood, the Melbourne club, yeah. was playing, they had one game, had seven possessions in a game, in one game in round nine against Fremantle, played full back, played okay, not too bad, didn't get a game for the rest of the year, came home early uh, before their semi-final uh, at the start of October, straight into the squad, comes on and has only four possessions in the whole game, but the most important possession of the year scores the goal in the back. And I think the story is just, it, it's incredible. And as Finbar said, like we've been travelling all over the country. We went to Carrick and Shannon during the year, Simple Stadium, Cockatree Home Games. Uh, gee, I don't know where else we were. Gee, yeah. it, it's been some rock and roll a couple of years, but in fairness, some due credit. No. But as Finbar says, it's not over. Yeah, let's not, not lose the run of ourselves here because yeah. there's nothing won. Beating no. Kerry is as good as, I suppose, in many ways, but nothing is won. Yeah, well, that's the danger now, PJ. I mean, we're playing to in the final, and everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that'll be a something. i tell you one thing. This is a very, very good Tipperary team. They're so very good. Okay, they weren't great against Limerick on Saturday, but they'd have been expecting to play Kerry in the final, and no one would give them a chance. Mm. Their record against Cork in the last number of years has been quite good. Cork has beaten them, they've beaten Cork. There'll be very, very little between them. And they, they have nothing to lose now because unlike yesterday, Cork will be going in as red-hot favourites. I mean, it's boiled down now. The way the chances panning out, Cork, Tip, Galway or Mayo are going, are going to end up in the All-Ireland final. Because, no, you know, it's straight not... Cork, Tip, Galway or Mayo. That's the pairings. Whoever wins Munster plays Connacht. There's four teams. So Cork have two games left. Like everyone else, Cork have two games left to get to the... Like Mayo, Galway and Tipperary, two games to get to an All-Ireland final and probably face Dublin going for six in a row. That's the reality. <clears throat> and I spoke to one of the players after the match and I met him in the car park as he going home, Anthony Casey, the sub-goalkeeper, great guy from Kishkane. And this is the focus now. The job now of the team management is getting him back down to earth and getting their heads around that they must actually win the Munster final. And I think they will do that. But it's, it's fraught with danger the next day. Venue and time, lads? Uh, I spoke to Ed Donnelly, the PRO of the Munster Council. The, the last time Cork played Tip in Championship, it was in Thurles. The previous time they met in the final, it was in the park. So whether the home and away arrangement applies to every game or just finals, I'm not so sure, but it'll be decided tomorrow. Wouldn't it be so, wouldn't it be so special, Pat, if we could have had 40,000 people at that match? It would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. But do you know what? 
in the times that we're in PJ I think everybody in Cork is actually getting a huge lift this morning the hurlers are back on the road they're playing the draw was made while ago they're out against Tipperary on Saturday Whoa. the had a massive win um, yesterday you know so everybody's on a bit of a high you know okay we're on a crest of a wave we're not at the peak yet though and I, I, I agree with Simber that game against Tipperary in the league at the start of the year was a real scrappy game and we were lucky to come out with the points yeah. we have to be careful of ourselves we can't be too cocky we have to concentrate right. this is he, he's right this is a very good Tipperary team well lads you know what we'll, we'll be I, I think what you what you did yesterday and I know people are watching the matches and keeping an eye what you did yesterday the two of you was you brought a little bit of joy into a very dull weekend in a very hard time of the year at a match that none of us could be at and that was great Cheers, Age. Thanks for that. Cheers. Um, you know what? I'm going to embarrass you one more time. Thanks, Pat, and thanks, Finbar. They're trying to set this play up. They're going lateral. They're going right across the field. They're still back in the middle of the field. Every carry man behind the ball. Sean Meehan in. Play is going to be everything. Sean Meehan in possession. We're inside the final 10 seconds. How much more is Derek O'Manny going to add on? Means broke through two tackles. They still have an opportunity of a score. Walk to the crossover here towards the end. Gore. Gore's after coming onto the field. Luke Connolly, 15 seconds after the call. Connolly goes on shot. It's high. It's high. He's going to land inside the parallelogram. Still inside the edge of square. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Merkin! Merkin has got the goal! Would you believe it? 21 minutes gone the clock! Cook has got the goal! What is left of it? Did he by two points? Colleague and it's all over! Would you believe it? Cook has won! I'm not carry out! It's unbelievable! Corks 96 FM's hit mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener. 500 euro for your chance to win. Follow Corks 96 FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag #HitMixMoney. #HitMixMoney. 500 euro. Corks 96 FM's hit mix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. And before anybody accuses me of using an RTE piece of music under that commentary, keep it in your gob. Because first of all, it's James' last piece of music. And secondly, it is the greatest sports theme of them all. You can keep your match of the days. You can keep anything you want. You can keep your Formula Ones. That is the greatest sports music of them all. 1850-715-996 Baldy Barber says As far as I could see Finbar didn't know who scored the goal Brilliant, he didn't Nor did he care at that precise point in time He was too busy hopping out of the stand Who got it? He had to lean over to the lads Brilliant entertainment A great victory Even though the football was shocking Stay safe, says the Baldy Barber Nothing cringe, says Mags It made me smile And it really cheered me up Ah, says this one. 1983 brought back, says this message Selling programmes down the park The Thunder and Lightning final getting to stand near the Black Rock end and watching the match for free. Then yesterday, amazing, well done to young Michal Martin. At least the Cork footballers are in good stead. 1850-715-996. We've been following this one since it started to come in in the form of telephone calls from listeners, which is the best way for anything to come in. 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Pick up the phone and ring us and we'll see what we can do. Last week we had a caller very distressed because her daughter is nine and her daughter was going to school after the schools went back in September. There was 18 in the class. There was three little pods of six. Everything was grand. Kids were nice and relaxed and happy. Then, all of a sudden, without warning and out of the blue, a teacher was just dropped. School lost a teacher literally over the space of a weekend. Now, the kids are gone up to 30 in a class instead of 18. And that mother was rightly frustrated and rightly annoyed. And then we spoke to Seamus from the school in Crosshaven on Friday. And he explained just how easily it happens. And over the weekend, the more I hear and the more I think about this, it is inclined to happen pretty much wholesale. There's a problem in St. Patrick's Girls National School. Audrey, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What happened there? Um, just to kind of like you you described, um, they had lost a couple of kids over the summer, you know, people moving and whatever. And um, they were told that they were going to be down a teacher. So the school have, uh, like I spoke to the principal last week, and they've done everything that they possibly could. They've appealed the decision. They had spoken to local TDs to try to get them to help. Um, and they were told last week, well, the teacher was told last week that this was it. She'd finished on Friday. Like, my daughter's in sixth class. Um, and the teacher she's had since September, an absolutely fabulous teacher, not that it makes a difference one way or the other, but mm. fabulous, um, is now finished on Friday. And, you know, like, there's enough uncertainty with these kids at the moment. They're, it's a scary, scary time for them. Mm. And then to pull the rug out from under their feet, you know, when you're kind of like halfway through the term. What, what effect will it have on the class size, Audrey? Just, like... Um, what's happening is that the, the the fourth class that you spoke about earlier, those two classes are being put together and the, one of those teachers is going to be taking over my daughter's sixth class. So, the, like, the cl- Sinead's class size stays the same, but they're, get, they're going to have a new teacher kind of halfway through the term. And to the other class, the fourth class then, that are going from... 18 to 32 or whatever. So, like, the whole thing of trying to keep the children separate, trying to keep them in their pods, now is a much bigger task for the teacher to do. You know, it's like, so you have actually, there's actually three classes that are being directly impacted by this. You have two fourth classes that were lovely, little, safe kind of places for them and are now this big, scary monster um, and then also the sixth class, who had their teacher, lovely, getting on great, and then all of a sudden Sinead came in last week, hysterical, absolutely hysterical, because my teacher is going to be gone. Right. And the thing is, that the class, we always complain about class size, and we mm-hmm. have some of the biggest classes in all of Europe, but, yeah. but you would think that having gotten the numbers as close to right as we can in the middle of a flipping pandemic, they'd yes. leave it alone. This is it. This is it. Like there's there's a, a there's a, an algorithm somewhere where they say this is the cutoff point where you know we have to we have to leave it let a teacher go. But surely with what's going on at the moment, they could have at the very least left her see out the term, but yeah. let her see out the year. Yeah. You know, like 
trying to, we're, we keep hearing that the government are supporting schools, they're giving them whatever they need. Well, somebody somewhere made a decision and said, actually, no, we're going to pull the rug out from under these kids. We're going to make a lovely small little class into this big class, make it very difficult for the teacher and for the school. Um, and all all people can do is just contact your local TDs, contact the department. You know, it's just so frustrating, PJ. It's so, so frustrating. The parent that I spoke to last week on the phone, Audrey, said she'd been sending emails all night and then yep. she'd actually called the Department of Education to make a complaint and got absolutely nowhere. Yeah, I did the same. I did the same. I called first. I did it the other way around. I called first. And I was told, uh, oh, here's the email address for someone, uh, you know, in that department. And I sent the email and then I got an email back going, oh, no, that's not me. I'll forward it to someone else. Um, I think maybe like kind of a dual thing where, you know, if people can send emails or call the department, but also get onto your local, you know, TDs, get onto your local councillors or whatever. That's what they're there for, mm. to, you know, stand up on our behalf and say this is not okay it's like of all places school is supposed to be the safe haven for children mm. and to do that like it's just ridiculous and you know Audrey this has gone on forever because but it's now it, it's it's in the spotlight it's under the lens at yes. the moment but you would have thought as well that the sensible thing to do is you set your number of teachers at the start of the year and regardless of the change in numbers of pupils that that number of teachers is nailed down until next June. That would be a sensible thing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's so disruptive. And like you said, look, I understand in any other year these things have happened. Like they've happened to this, my youngest now, Sinead, is in sixth class, so I'm at the end of my primary school time. And it's happened in other years where other kids, you know, there was children had left the school, they lost the teacher. Never in the middle of the year, I have to say. It's always, oh, really? we kind of know, we would have known that, you know, like my middle child now would have been in a class of 18. Well, we've lost the teacher, so next year it's going to be a class of 30 or whatever. Um, I, I don't ever remember a time where it happened mid-year like this. Um, but regardless of that it's a different time you know the whole point is we're trying to keep these children safe we're trying to keep them in their little pods we're trying to keep do the whole social distancing thing and then the department decides okay let's take these two small classes and make one big class it makes no sense at all none that ever was audrey thank you very much that's Audrey McSweeney, 1850 715 Now, I know that Councillor John Maher was tweeting about this at the end of last week. Hope to speak to him shortly. He's trying to get it raised in the Dáil. And I'm also hearing that uh, Donna Collier of Sinn Féin is raising it in the Dáil, or has raised it in the Dáil as well. This is a big problem. As Seamus from the school in Crosshaven explained to me on Friday, the numbers are so tight, they are so tight, that one teacher... In, in a class of, in his case, it's 200-something children. One pupil leaving the school. Teacher gone. It's that tight. It is literally that tight. Now, what Audrey is telling me there is something that I wasn't aware of. That it doesn't generally happen in the middle of the season. Or it's the middle of the term, middle of the semester. So it is happening now right in the middle of the term. But we, we're hearing that it's going on wholesale in the middle of a pandemic, that they are taking teachers out of schools because one pupil or two pupils actually leave.
Here's an interesting text. Yesterday was the Remembrance Sunday uh, and was carried out with all the due reverence that it should be carried out. A lot of events had to be actually cancelled or scaled down big time, but they were carried out. They were The main events did go on. And Michal Martin, Taoiseach, travelled, I believe, to Enniskillen yesterday as part of a Remembrance event. Text in that says, Michal Martin was in Enniskillen yesterday. He was not wearing a mask. It was not a necessary journey. The unionists would have understood. How does he know he's not a carrier for COVID-19? Well, not speaking in his defence, but in general, politicians, as far as I know anyway, politicians who travel over the border and from county to county and all of this are tested all the time. So the chances are that he's fine. But I get your point. He could have become a close contact if he, for, by going to win a skillet. Yeah. So that's pretty valid. Kate says, we've heard the news about extra funding for the Yall Greenway. What about the Passage Greenway? What happened to that? Good question, Kate. 1850-715-996. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Court's 96FM. We'll be talking later on this morning about the outcome of the presidential election in the US. Joe Biden, of course, uh, deemed president-elect at the weekend. Now, Trump says, no, 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 I'm going to court with this. Then let him off, let him off. But at the moment, uh, Joe Biden is president-elect and Kamala Harris is vice president-elect. Joe Biden has a huge, long Irish family tree. I was only looking into it yesterday. He's, He's as Irish as black pudding, to be fair to him. Be fair to the man. I'll give you the details of it later on in case you don't know them already. But in terms of shopping and restrictions and six weeks Friday to Christmas and loads of stuff still blocked off, I was down in, in Mahan Point on Friday evening, went for a few bits and pieces and the stuff literally boarded up in, in Tesco's and boarded up in all the other shops. It It looks a bit silly, but that is the extent of the level five restrictions. And still the Controversy continues about what is essential and what is not, particularly in terms of baby clothing. Neve, good morning. Good morning, how are you? What happened to you? Well, I was just doing my... Nothing happened to me, really. I, I was just... I just observed when I was doing my grocery shopping on Friday evening in Duns and Balavalan as we were walking out, um, you know, because they have a one-way system to come in and out. So you have to depart through the clothing area that they were closing off all the clothing area. So I kind of stopped and I saw one of the managers and I said to him, I said, you're closing down all the clothing areas again. And he said, yeah. He said, the guards had come in and told them to close it down. And I said, all right. And I said, but it was open last week. And he said, yeah. He said, um, and I don't understand. They had the homeware section open. Yeah. So he said, I can't understand how, said, how he said how they can class 
it's important and it's essential to sell a cushion and it's not essential to sell clothing. So I said, all right. But he did say, to be fair to the man now, I will say, he said, like, I said, I said, what if people needed to go to hospital or, you know, he said, look, he said, there'd be no problem. He said, we'll sort people out. He said that they just have to come up and find one of the managers and they'd give them what they needed. So if something is essential, they'll sort it out for you? Yes. Well, that's yeah. I suppose that the person deems essential. And then I was in boots and black cool on Saturday because I was collecting something I had ordered online. And I know in the first lockdown that all the makeup, the perfume and all those sections, they were all closed off so you yeah. couldn't access them at all. That's right. But you can access them now this time. So I said to the girl at the till, I said, can you actually buy perfumes and all that? And she said, yeah. And I said, really? I said, are they all classed as essential? And she said, yeah. So I just think it comes down to the guards at the end of the day what they're classing and they're confused. I think they are, to be fair. I'd hate yeah. to be a guard. I'd hate to be a guard tasked with the job of going into Dunn's or any shop and yeah. telling them stop selling baby clothes or stop selling. But in terms of, there are some elements of babies and children's clothing that really should not be covered up at all. They really should be on sale, shouldn't not, they? No clothes should be covered up, to be You think not, no? I, I don't think so. I think, personally, I think the shops should be allowed open. I think what's going to happen in another three weeks' time, there's going to be panic. In another three weeks' time, people are going to be, like, say, in my case, I, I've just had surgery. I'm five weeks out of surgery this Wednesday, so I had no chance to do anything yeah. um, before lockdown. Mm. So, like, in my case... I feel I'm under pressure. I don't necessarily want to be purchasing goods online. I want to try and keep it as local as possible if I can. Yeah. But in my case, that's not an option. Yeah. But, you know, I think that there's going to be large queues um, and I think it could have been managed. I understand that the virus is there. I totally get it. Yeah. But I don't know, are we going in the right direction as in this, these lockdowns? Because we'll open up now again. Cases will go back up. We'll be closed again January, February. And... You know, uh, like there's a story out there in the newspapers this morning. I think the Independent and one or two other papers are running it that pennies are considering 24 hour opening, and that they won't be the only ones. No. No, What what do you think of that idea? Might spread it out a bit. I don't know. Would there be a need for 24 hour shopping? But like, I mean, if you look at any of the European cities, America, they're all open till 10, 11 at night. Yeah. You know, make it more flexible for people. Like, would you go shopping at three in the morning? No. No? No, not me personally, but I mean, if there's an option there for people, give people the option. There's some people, it might be an option for somebody that has an underlying health issue. Yeah. Maybe they might feel safer going at that time. Yeah. Like, it isn't new. This was done before. I can remember, um, I remember all-night shopping. Duns uh, Duns used to do it up to Christmas, and Tesco's had a couple of them all year round. The one in Wilton was 24 hours all year round and the one in Mahan Point when it opened yeah. first was 24 hours all year round. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's handy if you're in shift work. Do, do you know, I mean, like society has changed. People are working different hours. Yeah. Do, do you know, now personally it wouldn't appeal to me but I would shop at maybe midnight or something like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. know, and it's part of people's personal choice and people's personal responsibility and that's what we have to take into account. Yeah, the personal responsibility is the thing. People have to be trusted to to be sensible themselves. But the problem is, you can trust you, and I can trust you, and I can trust me, and you can trust me. But can we trust Joe Soap out the road? We can't, you see. And he'll damage us both. Yeah, but we don't, like, I mean, there's a lot of asymptomatic people that don't know that they have. Very true. 
very true. You know, stuff like you can't, like people think they're going out, they have no symptoms. Like somebody that I know, the only symptom they had is that loss of taste. Loss of taste, it, yeah. yeah. Do you know, like mm. you might have a head cold. People, you're coming into the time of the, time of the year and now the weather is changing. A lot of people have head colds. True. Do you know, I mean, it's hard to say what's right and what's wrong and I'm sure that most of the people are doing what is supposed to be done. I, I would like yeah. to think so. Do, do you think that, um, do you think that there'll be a mad rush on the first star? I do. I mean, you saw it the last time when Penny's opened. Yeah. Do you know, after the, That's after right. the first lockdown. That's do, right. You know, and especially, Grand, you can, now, there are a lot more places open from what I see that you can do click and collect and stuff like that, which is great. Yes, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and I have to say it because I haven't, I haven't been out. Friday was my first day out in five weeks. Really? That I was able to get into a car, so I was in Blackpool with my husband. Yeah. And I have to say, it's a lot different from the first lockdown. How is it different? <clears throat> what, like, I noticed in the first lockdown, there was queues everywhere. Yeah. So say, like, we went to Woody's, there was no queue. Yeah. You know, there was no... There was queue and deals in Blackpool or whatever, but it moved quick. But, you know, compared to those big, huge queues that were there and that sense of panic. I, were, you, were you dreading queues a little bit being so well, shortly after surgery? Able, no, I yeah. wouldn't have been able to do it. I wouldn't have been able to have to do it. Um, but there was no queues there, you know. So I, I think for that kind of a way that there's more options to people and yeah. there's less of a rush involved with people, but there are specific stores yeah. That maybe you can't buy everything online. So say something could be Brown Thomas, it could be Dunn's. Or, do you know yeah. maybe not everything is available yeah. that you want? You're to not. Were you saying you're not that keen on online anyway? Are you? Well, I'd like to kind of keep it local, yeah. especially yeah. in the current climate, if, if at all possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the likes of Amazon. No, I have purchased from Amazon and stuff like that, but it's just I have no option. Yeah. For anything local, but you know, like we want to try and keep. I know from the like when the first lockdown finished, I, I live in Ballavaland, so I do a lot of my business in Glenmire. So I went to, like, I got my nails done on one beauticians, I got waxing done on another, and I got pedicure done on another beauticians, you know, just to try and support them all. Yeah. Just a little bit and keeps them going. Yeah. yeah. You know, it does a lot. Would you be nervous about big crowds? On the first or second of December now, if we have a mad rush in, um, I, oh, I don't know. I, I, I think, um, I don't think I put myself in that position. Yes, yes. Personally. Like I have a teenage daughter, and she wants to go to town the first day, and I'm like, I can't do that. No, yeah. but like I, I, and I have no problem in saying if I feel people aren't social distancing with me. Then I'll say, excuse me, would you mind pushing back, please? Well, well that's good, because that's what they've been telling us to do since day one. Yeah. Like, if you're in a place, if you look in the door of some place and it doesn't look safe and it doesn't look like it's... Walk away. Yeah, yeah. But I just think people forget. Do, do you know, people People aren't doing it maliciously. I just think it's a new way of life for us. And actually, I think when we do come out of this pandemic, mm. I think more people will be very aware and our, our social set and the way we behave in public yeah. will change an awful lot because even I find now that you're watching the TV or whatever and you're like oh they shook hands I know yeah there's a point actually that was made to me over the last while that we're now all kind of it's an automatic you go into the shop and you put the mask on and whatever and 
there's a kind of thing, well, I have a mask on my nose so I can stand on top of you. No, it's you can't do that. Like, Yeah, yeah but I wonder, like, will people still have masks on? Do you know when we're, we're finished? Will it just be, will we be like the the Asians, do you know, the Koreans and the Chinese, they all wear masks. They do. Will we continue to do that, I wonder? Will we be so aware now? It's a good point, actually. I, like, this conversation I had with my father, like, I, I wonder will people be so aware and that this is a change in yeah. life yeah. Do you know that maybe you might, that people will have an option? Yeah. That maybe, and it'll be just seen as norm. Well, there's the thing. Yeah, I, I, when this all started, if you saw someone, well, last winter time, if you saw someone out in the street in a mask, you kind of go, "What the hell is he doing?" Yeah. Now you see them without a mask. What the hell is he? You know, it's kind yeah. of changed. Like. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember, I was in middle there, God, at the, the very first lockdown, I was shopping for my father. And there was a man and a woman, a man in middle, and he did actually had a full gas mask on. And oh, I was like, yeah. oh my good God. And then the person he was with had nothing. But maybe he was very... Uh, Could have been vulnerable, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw I saw a woman down in down in Aldi in Mahan, down, or down in Black Rock, the, the Aldi there. Yeah. I was in the queue, and <laughs> I was going to go in for a bit of fruit and veg and stuff, like, but standing back in the queue, it was a nice day. But this woman standing in front of me, like, she was like a woman at a crime scene. Yeah. She practically a full hazmat on her leg. Yeah. <laughs> and for curiosity, wait, I tell you, for curiosity, I followed her around the shop at a very discreet distance. All she wanted was a loaf of bread. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know, but I suppose maybe she's a vulnerable person. She could well be, yeah. And might have someone to send she for might her. Be by herself. Yes, yes. And, you know, it might be a social outing for this lady. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I we won't look something. so strange to those people going forward, you know? No, but I think there's something that we've we've forgotten about. Like, my own father is 89. Wow. You know? He he lives, he's very independent and we're very lucky. Yeah. How does but he feel about all the cocooning and all that whole nonsense? He, do you know, he, he was okay. He said, it has to be done. But it actually broke my heart, I have to say, for the first lockdown. You're speaking to him through a window. Did you see him at all, no? Well, I did go up because I couldn't leave him there. But mm. we didn't, I didn't enter the house. Yeah. You know, it was outside. We're lucky he has a bungalow. Yeah. So we were able to stand back from the window yeah. and talk to him the window open and he was able to sit down on the bed and then as the weather got better because he's a little drive up to his house yeah we were able to socially distance in the front garden oh, that's nice. on chairs and talk to him yeah but i like and i i think like sure he, he doesn't go that much he takes the dog for a walk and he goes to mass and i think the mass is a huge loss to him we're going to be talking about that actually a little bit later on is yeah. is he struggling for the want of his mass well, he's great actually because he has a, an iPad. So he can see it online, you know. Yeah. And he's in loads of courses, but he does he, he does miss that because he's he's very religious. Yeah. But like that's, that's that's their social outing as well. Exactly. You know? Yeah. How are yeah. you, Mary? That might be the only way you know Mary's still alive. Yeah. How are exactly. you, Mary? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the people around his neighbours are very good to him and everything, you know. But I think they they need that interaction and that's yeah. like. I know he went to my brother's now yesterday for dinner because my brother was worried about him that he's not seeing anybody and he's not going out. And you know, but these things have to be done, and it's done in a responsible way. How would you feel about coming up to Christmas? This lockdown is supposed to end the second or third of December. What we're reading is that there'll be we still have some restrictions. Like, how important is it to you, Neve, to be able to have Dad on Christmas Day? Oh, very important. He, he'll come to us, whatever restrictions are in place. I, I have my dad at home by himself on Christmas Day. I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of people are thinking that, you know. Whatever's oh. there, my dad's coming over, my mom's coming over. 
I think yeah. that's yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. and I mean like we had a terrible year four year three years ago. We lost both my in laws in the space of ten months. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And you know, we had to have come to that first Christmas and it was just it's hard. horrible. It was it's hard. horrible. Like yeah. and like my own my father came in the house that Christmas he wasn't supposed to be kind of take turns every second year and he said there's just a very funny atmosphere in the house do you know like we all felt but we was kind of like we're not talking about it but it's there yeah yeah Yeah. you know so like he will be with us regardless we will put whatever needs to be put in place and like he comes he calls me now last week because I can't drive at the moment I can't go out and he he comes in he's all masked up yeah. We're all socially distanced from him in the house. Yeah, even that's and, a bit odd. Yeah. Well, but at least like, he's there. Yeah, exactly. And he'll stay for 15, 20 minutes and he'll go, yeah. you know, just to just to, to do that, I yeah. suppose, because, you know. Niamh, look after Thank yourself. You. Look after him. Uh, yeah, we will, of course. Great chatting with you. Take and care. And thanks for the phone call. Mind mm. yourself. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. 1850 715 There's a lot of confusion in the shops her thing was that two different duns, two different shops, had seemed to have two different rules. And who's got to enforce the rules? The Pumas, Fortune and Guards. You'd feel sorry for them. You really would. Let's go back to school classes because Councillor John Maher is going through the channels to get this raised in the Dáil. John, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are things? I'm not too bad. Now, we're hearing this is happening wholesale. We know it's happening in St. Patrick's. We know one or two more schools. And what seems to be very unusual, it's happening in the middle of the term. Yeah, yeah, PJ. It's, it's first of all, I think you know, outside of COVID, this is something that you can't be doing, and um, we we expect the school managers and the teachers to kick off the term in August, um, and we know that this year in particular, a lot of them were working through the summer to get the, the kids or kids back to school, and then the department does something like this. Um, I just think it's wrong and it's not fair on the students and it's not fair on the teachers um, and the principals that are expected to uh, get back to normal, inverted commas. The very idea um, that, that a class could lose a school, or sorry, a school could lose a teacher because one pupil leaves is just bizarre. No, it is, absolutely. Um, you know, and again, we felt that for August, September and October, it was okay to have that teacher. But then in November with immediate effect, as per the letter, we pull that teacher. Now, that's not fair on the teacher who, who needs, you know, the income to, to pay bills and to survive. And it's not fair on the pupils who are now going from a class of 16 to 32. Um, and it's not fair on, on the school principal and the management that, um, that you know, need to run the school um, and, and, and kind of go along with, with the challenges that COVID brings. Um, so again, I, I, Sean, uh, through Sean Sherlock, we brought up a question, a parliamentary question to the minister, and we're hoping that they look at this um, and that we found money uh, for a lot of other things in COVID. And I think, I think anybody would appreciate the kids going back to school was a really positive thing. Um, I think everybody, I know from my own nephew that since he's gone back, it's very rare you'd hear a kid running out to school, but that's the, the experience we're having. He's delighted to be back. Um, he's delighted to be back with his friends working in their pods and we need to keep that going um, and we don't need to jeopardise that and I think by doubling classes by increasing contacts this is all what this is all going against what uh, the, the public health advice is telling us Our previous it's caller Audrey was suggesting it seems to be John some kind of an algorithm in the Department of Education 
which effectively is doing a count and it says yeah. that such and such a school, well, it's now down from a hundred, we'll say a hundred pupils to 99. And that means we won't budget for eight teachers. We're going to leave them only with seven. You're not just, you're, you're affecting multiple classes that way. Absolutely. Uh, no, no, absolutely. And I think, Peter, we need to stop managing from Excel files and behind computers and we need to listen to the, the teachers and to the managers of schools. And when they do tell us that this is going to have an impact, it, like, like the teachers have told us the impact, you know, doubling class sizes, 16 to 32, yeah. um, in, a, in a time where, it, like, you know, no, I think it's wrong regardless of COVID, or particularly in COVID. Particularly at the time. When, when is Sean likely to be able to raise it? or when is it Coming up, it, it, it should be coming up this week, uh, TJ, so we'd be, we'd be hopeful um, that, the, with that the minister... Um, does look at this because Topic, again, topical issues would it be John maybe we don't yeah it'll come up as a PQ um, PJ so okay. the parliamentary question so again well, we found money during COVID for everything else and I think again that we need to remember the good job that the schools are doing how it's the, the positive that I had on our young people being back to school, we need to make sure that happens. We need okay. to make sure we keep that going. And I think by funding schools, I think this is a small investment that goes a long, long way. Okay. Well, we're going to follow this one with interest and, and let, keep us in the loop when you find out when it might come up. Thanks very much. That's Labour Party Councillor John Maher bringing a question through uh, Sean Sherlock, uh, Cork East TD. And it's also been raised, I think, by... Uh, Sinn Féin's Donegal If we have any pro- uh, progress on it, we will let you know. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number. The text of the WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email for the show is opinion at 96pm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96 with our hashtag OL96. And of course, you can message us through Facebook whenever you want, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. But please do mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. After 11, looking at what happens now in the United States, will the Donald challenge? If the Donald does challenge, will the Donald have any hope of success? But what happens now for the Biden-Harris camp? They were jubilant at the weekend. They got a massive vote. Coming back to that after uh, 11 o'clock this morning. I think there have already been some messages coming in accusing me of being a Biden supporter. I, to be honest, was just fascinated by the machination of the election. Did I care who won? Yes, I did, but I wasn't particularly pushed about it either way because I don't think it makes a huge difference to us as a nation. I, you know, look, I'm prepared to be persuaded otherwise, but that's later. That is later. First of all, have a think of the last few months since all of this began, since the first case was confirmed in the Republic of Ireland and the first death was confirmed in the Republic of Ireland and we went into the first lockdown, which was hard enough. Could have been harder, some people said, but it was hard. But it happened in springtime and the weather was beautiful and the days were long and the evenings were bright and we made the most of it. Dogs were walked until their legs were worn to the stumps. But we did get on with things. There was a smile on most of our faces most of the time. Then into the summer, and we got released from it, bit by gradual bit, looking back. Now probably a bit too fast. 
We enjoyed our summer. We staycationed. We went to the four corners of the country rather than going to the four corners of Europe. We went around the country. We staycationed. We enjoyed ourselves. We lived within the restrictions. We had smiles on our faces, beautiful photos on our phones. And then it all started to get go wrong again. And we had increasing case numbers and increasingly dreary predictions. Many of those predictions now proven to have been right. And here we are now in, if you like, lockdown phase two, level five restrictions. And hopefully, just hopefully, we'll get out of them for Christmas and we'll have some form of Christmas with our families and those we love. And somewhere in a long, and of course this second lockdown happening in atrocious weather, long, dark, cold, wet evenings, dark, damp, foggy, wintry mornings. It's harder. It's a lot harder this time. But somewhere along the way, we began to get very cross and very angry and arrogant. And a thing has crept into our personality, the personality of many of us, called incivility. And it's a term brought to our attention by uh, Dr. Chris Luke, consultant in emergency medicine and a regular guest on The Opinion Night. Chris, good morning. Good morning, PJ. These are your observations now, working on the front line for the last six to eight months. Well, certainly the beginning of, uh, of uh, COVID in the inner city, uh, but they're based on decades of, of work at the front line, PJ. And I, I'm not sure that they've just crept in, but certainly they've been amped up by, uh, by recent circumstances. And, you know, incivility is another word for rudeness, basically, uh, or even aggression. And, of course, it goes along a, a spectrum from a trivial, a, you know, discourtesy right up to, you know, threats and physical violence. So it, it's very much a range. But I, I think I'm particularly concerned about, uh, you know, general levels of incivility bubbling up in society. Uh, and I suppose it first came to our attention most vividly when we heard about the supermarket cashiers being screamed at because of the rules around queuing and social distancing and masks. And then we began to hear that it was happening in the States and it was happening around Europe and people were being physically attacked and we heard about bus drivers being attacked and people on trains and train stations and and guards and so forth. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, aggression is something that I certainly have been looking at for decades. And I I can vividly recall a a case of an incident in the waiting room at the Royal Liverpool where I used to work throughout the 90s of of one patient getting up from his seat in the waiting room uh, and going over to another patient who was being uh, annoying, inverted commas, uh, and there was an exchange of just a few words, and then a man gave him an uppercut, which landed him on the, gr- uh, on the ground unconscious and inert. And, of course, this was captured on uh, TV, and it went viral on, on the TV in, in the UK. And that, in a sense, is also another issue. Because of the internet and because of CCTV and because of, uh, you know, social media, we're now much more aware that the, this level of incivility or aggression is not just local. Yeah. In fact, it's global. And uh, if you actually look at the, the medical literature for emergency medicine, you know, what goes on in emergency departments all around the world, you'll hear words like alarming, uh, escalating, um, a, a, a crisis level and even epidemic level of, of uh, violence and a sense of violence within emergency departments. So it's not new, 
but it seems to be getting worse during COVID. And of course, it's presumably related to levels of frustration yeah. and, and cabin fever and all of that. There is a thing, though, isn't it, Chris, in the human condition that when we experience <coughs> stress and we experience pain and we experience worry, <coughs> negative emotions come to the surface and we might act upon them. We're more likely to act upon negative emotions in times of stress and worry. Very much so. And... Uh, one of the reasons it's not being discussed very often, I mean, I certainly discussed it at summer school in UCC back in around about 2005. I was looking at levels of violence in A&E departments in Ireland and there had been some studies in Dublin and I did one in Cork and, you know, the levels were quite troubling at that time. You know, about 50% of our nurses had been verbally assaulted. I think about 10 to 15% had been physically attacked. And, you know, my own wife was an A&E nurse and that's how we met. And she was... Uh, you know, punched in the face by uh, a patient, uh, you know, in, in in the early 80s. And I've had nursing colleagues in, in Cork who have had their careers wrecked by by assault. So, as I say, it's not not entirely new, but mm. it just seems to be worse. And, you know, they, 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 they say, or one of the theories is that there are three basic drivers of aggression. Uh, one is frustration, which is what you're kind of getting at. Uh, the other is expectation, which I, I suppose has been whipped up uh, in, in recent decades by, uh, I suppose, a consumerism. Uh, and, of course, always the, always the issue of communication, uh, you know, um, trying to, I suppose, courteous and polite and clear, you know, c- communication with, with people. Um, but then you have to then dissect down and say, well, you know, the, the nurse or the receptionist in the emergency department was very civil uh, you know, and you can see often, you see this recorded on, on a CCTV, it was very civil, very yeah. polite, very clear, and the, and the patient still lashed out. And that, that, of course, may be because they are drunk, or they have uh, certain medications or drugs on board, or, you know, they may have had a head injury. So there are, are reasons why communication fails, and it isn't always because the, the, the words weren't clear yeah. or polite, but, but the, the, the messages may not be getting through. So those are the kind of three basic drivers. I think levels of expectation are high, levels of frustration are high, yeah. uh, and, and then communication can, can, can be an issue for all sorts of reasons. You know, it's, if you sit in, in an emergency department, and thankfully I haven't had to do so for quite some time now, um, but what you'll notice is, yes, of course, it's crowded, it's busy, because at the time I, I'd, I'd had a fall, there was nothing broken, I just needed to be seen in x-ray. So I was going to be waiting for a while. So I armed myself with a book and plenty of coffee, and I sat there. And I realised this, 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 this is the situation. But that kind of thought process doesn't seem to be in, in too many people's heads anymore. And secondly, why do some people think that it's the guy at the desk or, or the woman moving in and out calling people? Why do they think it's their fault? Yeah, I, I mean, they, they, they say, I suppose, philosophically, that if you can master your appetites, you can be master of the universe. And what that basically means is if you can control, restrain your, your impulses, um, you know, you, you can really be extraordinarily, uh, you know, strong in every sense and successful. And I suppose ultimately it's about controlling those impulses, the impulse to lash out, the impulse to rage. And, you know, another example of this, of course, would be road rage, you know, which we read about and hear about so often. Uh, and, you know, people uh, spitting at guards, again, that we've heard about. Um, so it's about impulse control. And I suppose ultimately... Um, 
Incivility is, could also be called bad manners. And you, you then start talking about what, does, what do we mean by manners. And I suppose manners are what we describe as the code of behaviour that most people would, would yearn for or aspire to. And I suppose they're basically about the, the notions of respect and restraint and, and, and a sense of responsibility. So people are responsible to, to their fellow citizens. And of course, then it comes to the other great issue uh, of which I'm a fan, which is, you know, the collective rather than the individual. I mean, yeah. ultimately, um, you know, it, uh, one of the reasons I, 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 I love emergency medicine is because it's so full of really wonderful people who put the needs uh, and concerns and fears of other people ahead of their own. And that's in a part of the collective uh, thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's basically part of this, co- the collective versus the individual. And that, of course, is a huge issue, which we could talk about forever. It's in the open society, though, as well as uh, the wider open society, rather than just in the in the emergency departments, the hospitals in general. I, you, you mentioned supermarkets. People can be, extra- I've heard, extraordinary rudeness in supermarkets in the last few months. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, you think and you say to yourself, can you not put yourself in the shoes of that poor cashier who, you know, I know because I come to this, 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 this shop every week. I know her to be lovely, friendly, congenial, helpful, all those good things. And then you see this person behaving boorishly or incredibly aggressively, you know, and, and then you sometimes see a little tear in the eye of the cashier and you say, how can you do this to this poor woman who's only doing her job? And yet, PJ, we've heard it. You know, we heard this, this reported over and over and over again. So I then go back to, you know, some of my old tropes, which are, you know, the drink and the drugs and the violence. And, you know, violence is one of my specialist interests, you know, particularly violence at night and violence in, in, in the domestic setting. And the drivers of violence are all part of this, you know, impulsivity, you know, impulse control. Uh, and impulse control is affected by things like drink and drugs. So if you have somebody who's full of amphetamine or alcohol or benzodiazepines or cannabis or cocaine, um, they are much, much more likely to be disinhibited uh, and therefore unable to control their impulses. And it's the impulsivity, the impulse towards violence or whatever that, that we're talking about here. The, the, the fact that people can't control themselves or restrain themselves long enough to put themselves in the shoes of the receptionist uh, or the triage nurse uh, or the supermarket uh, checkout uh, lady. Bringing it into the COVID space, though, Chris, I guess you would have to allow a certain amount of it to be put down to the fact that people are fearful and nervous and frightened. And frightened maybe not for themselves, but frightened for the fact that they're down now doing a bit of shopping and their 81-year-old dad is living in the back room and they're afraid that they'd pick the virus up from somebody and bring it back to him. That level of fear can lead to a state of, of heightened emotion and you'll turn on someone when you didn't mean to. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on, PJ. And, you know, look, I, I, throughout my four decades, or certainly three decades, uh, you know, in emergency departments as a senior person with, with an office sometimes, I had young people coming in, doctors in training, nurse, nursing colleagues in tears because um, someone has kicked off, you know, in the triage room or in the resource room or in reception and has been incredibly abusive or violent or threatening or whatever. Uh, and you're trying to pick up and encourage and, and reassure and console uh, the, the, these colleagues because, you know, here's the thing, PJ, 
these people leave emergency departments in droves to staff. You know, receptionists, healthcare assistants, nurses, doctors, they leave the front line in droves because of this kind of behaviour. But, you know, my, 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 my daughter is a, a, a doctor in training and uh, occasionally she has tales of woe and tales of, of you know, unexpected bad behaviour, uh, really bad behaviour by colleagues. Uh, and I always try to anatomize uh, the, the situation for her. I say, look, if you've called, um, let's say you've called a surgeon, you know, up the, up the house, you know, you're in a busy ED, you've got somebody with a sore belly, and you refer, you make a phone call to the duty surgeon for general take that night, and he's in theatre, and first of all, you have to extract him from the, the side of the of the theatre, you know, the, 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 the operating t- table, then you've got to get them to the, to the telephone, and then you say to him, look, I've got this situation, and, and suddenly he kicks off. Yeah. And what I say to my daughter is, look, try and step back a minute and work out why is he angry? And just to come back to what you've just said is, as far as I'm concerned, the basic rule of thumb is simple. The more afraid somebody is, the more angry. And you say to yourself, well, why would he be, why is he angry? Well, he's obviously afraid of, of something you've said. And I say, think about it. If he is a general surgical trainee who's spe- now specializing at the age of 32, in orthopedic surgery, not only orthopedic surgery, but knees and hips and lower limb. And once every month he does general take. You're dragging him away from a really busy operating schedule. He may have a very cranky boss who doesn't like him leaving the the table. Uh, And you're then asking him to come down and deal with, for example, a head injury or a chest problem or a belly problem. Something he hasn't seen perhaps for months or even years mm. in his training. You the, I, I'll bet you they want the answer that comes back to you when you're talking to your daughter like this is, well, Dad, I didn't cause all of that. No, That's I know that, but I'm trying fault. to explain. I just said it sometimes helps to wonder, he's kicked off the surgeon now, for example, because he's suddenly incredibly stressed. Because A, he's, had a cranky, he's got a cranky boss, and B, uh, a very, very busy theatre list, and then see suddenly from down the house in, in the chaos of the ED, perhaps, he's been asked to decide or de- yeah. determine the, the, the outcome, which is full of risks. You know, if, uh, do I send somebody home or there's no beds? Yeah. And it's a, it's a part of the anatomy, which this sounds crazy to, a, to, to the laity, but the truth is that as doctors train, they become more and more, uh, you know, specialised in less and less. So, as I say, if he's suddenly put out of his literally comfort zone, that, that kind of stress can make them behave very badly. But having said that, PJ, it's up to him to learn to control his bad temper, his anger and his rage. And again, it's unacceptable. But what I'm trying to say to my daughter is, look, let's try and at least work out why. Because in other words, here's the thing. It's not you. It's him. Mm. Chris, finally, oh, two, two things for you before we finish up. You've, you've, you've talked at length and many times over the, about the, the level of burnout and stress in the profession and in emergency departments in particular. Are we, do, are we worse here than the other places you've worked, the other places that you know people have been? Uh, we are probably no better. Uh, than anywhere. Uh, it, it all depends on various factors, obviously. Um, for example, I think that one of the antidotes to burnout uh, is being amongst your own, is practicing in a hospital where you've trained before you, before you head off to the, 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 to the Ann Arbors or the Mayo Clinic or the Hammersmith. Uh, and because, uh, so I worry about uh, doctors who have just qualified heading off immediately 
to Australia rather than spending the first year or two or three training with nurses and doctors and professors and consultants that they've known for a long time. I think it, it makes for a slightly less stressful environment than going to somewhere where you may not understand the language or the culture or the systems or where everything is. Then uh, you have just the levels of consumerism and expectation ever in play, particularly the English-speaking world, you know, in, in, the, in the States and Australia and the UK and Ireland. But look, you know, in, uh, in, the, in England, they have two, three, four, five times as many consultants in, in emergency departments uh, that, uh, as they do here. And yet the burnout level and the exodus of young doctors and nurses from the, the NHS is, is as bad as it is here. And you have levels of, of, of aggression and litigation in the States, plus the burden of debt, because most doctors leave, the state, leave medical school with, with uh, the likes of a half a million dollar uh, you know, debt for training. Uh, and even in Australia, I visited Australia last year uh, to see one of my friends, uh, a consultant there who had come to Cork years ago, and I, I, we, we keep in touch regularly. And I went to see his place, which I thought was absolutely sumptuous, in, you know, Melbourne and thereabouts. Yeah. And they have sumptuous facilities. Uh, unbelievable uh, numbers of consultants and senior doctors and the equipment and the computers and all sorts. And he told me they're still not satisfied. So, it, it, you know, it's never quite as straightforward as, as, as we think. And at the end of the day... That wasn't Tony Harrington, really, Jazz, was it? No, it wasn't. It was David, David Eddy, my great friend. Tony Harrington, I know really well. He's yeah. another lovely, lovely guy. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very friendly with and in touch with. He's up in Queensland, but I know this is David down in, in Melbourne uh, area. Uh, so the, I suppose the point is that it's not, it's never as straightforward as it's made out to be. It's never just about resources. It's never just about conditions. There's, there's, a, there's a complicated blend going on. Chris, finally, we've talked many times over the last few months in terms of COVID and where we are going with it. And we've talked, you talked to me in particular at one stage about what was bothering you with all your years of experience was the unpredictability of it. You coined the term, I think, shapeshifter. The unpredictability of this virus. Where are we now? Do we no more and are we are we the the citizens a bit safer now because the medical profession no more yes and and like here's the thing you know even just by way of an introduction we were busy feeling probably a little bit smug in europe about these wet markets in wuhan you know and these things like civets and salamanders and wild rats and how can they do this and how can they do that no is it is it any wonder they got the virus and then suddenly this week we have mink, 17 million of them in Denmark, yes. in a sophisticated country like that, which, is, which are b- generating a new, desperate mutant strain uh, of virus for which there may not be uh, an effective vaccine for another several years because it's not susceptible, it seems, to the vaccine that we're, we're on, on the brink of, 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 of marketing. So we do know a huge deal more. In fact, I- interestingly, we, you know, I, I remember having conversations with the, the, uh, my colleagues in, in Cork uh, in March, April, uh, listening to a few kind of mavericks back in the States, because that, that's one of, the, one, of, one of the upsides of the Internet, is that you're, you're, you're constantly reading about and listening to podcasts and, and articles from the States. And there was a group of intensive care and emergency guys uh, in the States talking about anticoagulation and steroids from the, from the very get-go. Uh, and we were floating that idea and discussing it. But, of course, we had to wait for until sort of June, July before we got the figures in. And that turns out to be very effective. De- dexamethasone is very easily available and relatively cheap. Yeah. Anticoagulation. And even now they're talking about aspirin being particularly effe- effective. So we've really learned well how to treat the patients. And I think the mortality uh, rate should, uh, should, should dwindle from the likes of 1% down, towards five, uh, down you know, to 0.1%, perhaps, hopefully, I- I- in a year or so. 
I think it, the second wave is much less uh, nasty than, than the first wave. But, you know, uh, PJ, I did say to you that if you regard the COVID uh, business as a kind of composite version of the Spanish flu and SARS-1 back in 2003 in Southeast Asia, then, you know, I, I, I think it's a bit rash to think of less than two to three years uh, as the duration of this thing. But the thing is, PJ, we, we are learning all the time. Uh, and you heard the optimism in Sam McConkie's voice there. Uh, and I'm similarly quietly optimistic because, you know, first of all, hope springs eternal. It's a great condition of humanity. We just keep going because, you know, there's always hope. Uh, and I mean, fingers crossed, touch wood and all that, you know, we have been very lucky, really. And it, partly it's because we're an island nation and partly it's because despite anything I've said earlier about the people being, uh, you know, harsh and uh, unkind to each other, maybe unintentionally, we have a very cohesive society. We still know how to smile and be charming to each other for the most part. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I can't walk down my road in Black Rock in Cork without stopping for five minutes or ten minutes to talk to somebody and smile and chat and have a, have a bit of a laugh. And, you know, we're, we're blessed in that sense that we do have a very... Uh, we have a wonderful... We're a wonderful little country. Really. Uh, we look, we're, we're, for the most part, we're, we're great people for the most part of the time, but we just need to take a look at ourselves, I guess. We have to keep reflecting And we've been through and, a horrible and, few months and yes, we've come through yes. it reasonably well. Christine rang in just to say thank you to you for your work and says you're an extremely kind individual um, have you seen this it's a question from the privileged fee paying clients or has it been the utterly frustrated public patients the ones who can be waiting two years to see a consultant is oh, there oh, more oh, oh, both, oh, oh, both. Um, both yeah I can assure you that the levels of frustration are are are, are, are similar in both 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 contexts. Now, I mean, I, I'm obviously mostly a, 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 a public. You know, I'm 98 percent public. I see the occasional patient privately uh, for second opinion, but I, I'm mostly public servant. And uh, but I, I'm I'm certain that it, it, the frustration occurs in both both sets of circumstances. And finally, Chris, and briefly, if you can, the mink situation. You did mention it. Um, a couple of people ask, how worried should we be reading that story in the newspaper? Well, if. Uh, Denmark is isolated as it seems to have been uh, by It's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze Relax And think about Work You really, really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. By the UK and, and, and the Irish authorities, I think... And if they can cull the 17 million mink, and if they can quickly uh, get hold of the, I, I gather there's a, a num- there are dozens of uh, human beings infected by the, the, the mink variant. Uh, I, that's that's what I gather. Uh, if they can cull the mink quickly, and uh, and I say that with a with a very heavy heart because you know I, I am an animal lover, but if they can cull the the, the mink, and if they can uh, you know isolate that part, those parts of Denmark where they have all these farms uh, and so on, uh, we, we, we should be able to get away with it and then be able to focus on the original uh, coronavirus and, and hope we'll have a vaccine up and running and out over the next uh, number of months. Here's hoping. Listen, Chris, thank you very much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. That's uh, Dr. Chris Luke, uh, 1850 consultant in emergency medicine but just think about it you know if you're feeling a bit hit up hey I have okay I'm not immune to this you get a bit hit up in the head just don't take it out on the poor misfortune that's serving you a ham sandwich and the ham sandwich is a bit slow don't do that please don't do that 1850-715-996 alright I know that John is on a break we'll do this before we take ours Glenville GAA PRO John O'Connor John good morning Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You wanted to draw something to our attention. What happened to the club? Yeah, unfortunately, over the last number of weeks, we've had um, some unsavoury incidents occur <clears throat> in our training pitch there about two weeks ago. Um, we had we poured the cabins there and uh, people broke the windows with rocks and stuff. Yeah. And then we had we had lots of signs around the parish and people have been damaging and vandalising them. And then on Friday night... Uh, we have a new. We have a new. We're building a 4G pitch. Uh, yes. It's a big, a big deal for us, and so it's closed off as a construction site at the moment. Our main pitch, and they've people broke in and were drinking, littering, damaging some of the machinery there uh, with graffiti and stuff, and they broke up our juvenile goals as well. I'm looking. Uh, at, I'm looking at photographs, yeah. and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's infuriating, isn't it? Uh, it's very demoralising. Very demoralising because there's, you know, there's, there's just so much work going in there at the moment to try and make it available for everybody, and you know, it's it's hard to take at times, especially this was in, in the times we live in at the moment. I take it it's been reported and the guards are involved. Ah, uh, yeah, the guards are very good now, and they're, they're, as as always, like and they're, they're they're investigating it. So we're hoping that uh, anybody who knows anything might. Um, contact the local guards or any of the club officers in Denville through Facebook or, or anybody around Denville who know us anyway but um, we'd appreciate it Alright John I know you wanted to get that uh, to people's attention thank you very much that's John O'Connor the PRO of Denville GAA vandalism at the club goals destroyed machinery vandalised drinking and we've just been talking about incivility and bad behaviour thank you the more I sit in this chair and do this job, the more I have to ask myself, what is broken in people that they feel it necessary to go in? Fine, go in, have your few cans in the field. I don't care. Have your few cans in the field. Smoke your pot if you must. But 
leave the goals alone for the kids to play soccer or football or hurling, would you? What's what's wrong with you, like? Ninety six FM's ten K toy giveaway is coming. Get ready for fun and play because we're giving away loads of five hundred euro toy shopping sprees for free. For free. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On 083 3 96 96 96. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway starts Monday from 6am with Johnson & Parrott, Douglas Bishopstown and Matten Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 On Cork's 96FM. On a subject of incivility, Kate says she was at the butcher's counter of a supermarket in Carrigaline a few weeks ago as she was pointing out to the butcher the chops she wanted. A fellow customer got very nasty with her because he felt she was in his space. Dee says, I could listen to Dr. Luke all day. He teaches us to take a breath, to be kinder to others in these dark times. Joe, the hairdresser, I can see this a lot in supermarkets. Darren and myself sometimes give the checkout girl a bar of chocolate or a voucher. The reaction is total amazement. And doctors, receptionists get an awful time too. A little kindness can go so far. John says the city owes Chris Luke a great deal of gratitude for all his work and his ceaseless campaigning for the health service. I'd like to wish the man well in his retirement. It's a mark of the man that he's working in retirement to help out with the COVID-19 crisis. We should honour him as a city. The world would be a better place if someone like him was Minister for Health. And Anthony, my wife was buried last Saturday. Anthony, sorry to hear that. All my friends and neighbours, young and old, came out to offer support. All the hospitals, priests and everywhere helped us in every way, giving cards and snacks and all of that. There may be incivility in the country, but everyone in general is kind. And I would just like to thank them. And thank you for that, Anthony, and our condolences on your loss. There was talk about this this morning. I heard it on the traffic reports earlier. There were a lot of checkpoints out again this morning, a lot of... Uh, level 5 checkpoints, wondering where you're going and why you need to be there. Mind you, driving around at the weekend, I had occasion to drive across the city on Friday afternoon. I drove from Black... Yes, there were essential journeys. I drove from Black Rock out to Forge Hill. And it was like Patrick Street on the 22nd of December in a normal year. It The traffic was cruel. And I'm sitting there going, Level 5? Seriously, like? And the wife got caught as well on her drive home from work the other evenings. Level 5? Like, seriously? But the checkpoints were out this morning. Caller says this is going to drive people against the whole idea of public health measures. I hear of people late for school, kids with special needs getting frustrated because they're late for their school, people being late for hospital. At these checkpoints, so far, all you have to say is you're going to work or going to hospital and they'll just wave you through. They're not checking at all for any proof of it. It's stressing people out. Has anyone been arrested at checkpoints in Cork? because they seem to have no function whatsoever. Well, up to last week, they didn't have any powers other than to ask you nicely where you were going 
and if you weren't going anywhere essential to ask you nicely to go home. They had no powers up to last week. They were supposed to get them. I'm not too sure if that went through the doll. But if they have no powers, they are a bit of a waste of time. They might discourage someone from going out and get caught, getting caught in them. And I would say they're making a fortune on the tax and the insurance, I would say. 1850-715-996. Right, let's go to Veronica, because Declan Ganley, of whom you will have heard, I don't propose to talk to Mr. Ganley, I've spoken to him before, but he is taking a case to the High Court. He took the, a case to the High Court on Friday, suggesting that people have a constitutional right to go to Mass and that the churches should be open for Mass during Level 5 restrictions. How he gets on, I don't know. We took a call a number of years, or a number of weeks ago, rather, from a campaigner who said the same thing. She said that you have a constitutional right to go to Mass. Uh, not too sure whether you have or not. I'm sure the court will decide for or against Mr. Ganley's argument. But a couple of weeks ago, at the very start of Level 5, I spoke to Veronica about her mum. Morning, Veronica. Good morning, PJ. How are, How are you? you? How's your mum? She's good, but good. very broken-hearted over no mass. Knock off that radio behind you there, will you please, if you could. Because there you are, you see. <laughs> You'll be Sorry, coming back PJ. out, just that's no problem. So, Mum is suffering a bit, is she? She is. I tell you now, PJ, at the moment, um, they offered the church been closed and blah, blah. Um, I'm talking about our parish in uh, Granabraher, which holds 1,400 people, yes. okay? Yes, There's plenty of room for everyone in the church as we are keeping apart and using the guidelines, right? Yes. And you must realise when uh, the Mass it was getting the elderly out, and that's what they were looking forward to each morning. And that is very disappointing as the church is in a lot of debt, such as clearing off a roof, windows, plumbing. And yeah. this is all have to be paid for. And there's two priests that is running the church, doesn't live on fresh air, just waiting for people's donations and any donations they can get. Yeah. They're wonderful men for what they are doing and the work they are doing. They are the loss of everything now. Yeah. And no wonder we have people with so many health issues. Yeah. What, what, what's, what's life like for your mom without her mass? I mean, it's a really big part of it, and you've been going with her for years. Yes, that's correct, PJ. And as I said, it's very heartbroken at the moment because every day I bring my mom. We do a walk, whatever, if the weather is fine, that is. Uh, we go to the church, bring her up. She uh, says her rosary, prayers, uh, like cankers. It isn't the same, you know, as being present in the Mass itself. Yeah. You'll see what's going on, what the priest is talking about. But like today, they have nothing completely. Yeah. And it you, was getting can, can them out of the house. Can you understand at all that that is to protect your mum? I do, of course, PJ, but uh, we kept to the guidelines. You know, I don't see what was the matter of the mass being called uh, off, you know? Yeah. And she doesn't have an online option, does she? No, because then um, they just have a pension and all to that, like, you know, and they wouldn't be able to afford all what you have to have serve you and all that, like, you know? 
at the moment she just got Radio Maria on and that's uh, just the sound, not the picture itself. That's Radio Maria? Yeah, Radio Maria is on there every morning at uh, 10 o'clock. Okay, okay, that's a mass, is it? Yeah, it's a full mass oh, and good. prayers then afterwards, you know, which it isn't the same. You ought to be in present in the church to see what's going on. After all, they can meet with friends, you know. Yes. As I said, when are they ever going to know when they're going to see their friends again over this lockdown? There's definitely that. There's you know, and also there, PJ, for I forget to say it, you're there um, in nursing homes also. Like the, um, the nursing homes, there's people dying there without sacraments, which is very sad for their families, as there is no priest allowed in. But the priest not allowed in home. to give the last no. rites, no? No, no. no. So like that, it's very sad to know that elderly are dying on their own without no one being there for company. Like, you know, to me, I think that is very sad as well, like, you know. Yeah, you contacted the bishop or tried to, I think. I did, that's correct, yes. But I haven't heard anything. It was actually, he was at a meeting the same day. So it was his secretary I was talking to and she was um, saying the same, like, that's, what was I was talking about was going mad as well, like, you know, the circumstances we were in. And I said, would you please make sure you pass on this information? She said, certainly she would. Yeah. You know? But, like, to me, I think it's very sad for the people like that. They're elderly, are vulnerable, and people should take into consideration what they're going through. After all, there's only a small amount of people goes to the church. Yeah, how many, Veronica? You say that the the church up in up in Grand would be what a thousand people would hold a thousand fourteen hundred fourteen hundred people. Yes, how many uh, in normal times before all this started? How many were at the morning mass with yourself and your mom? Well, on a weekday, you're talking about twenty, fifteen to twenty. I'm only guessing, no PJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? certainly nothing like fourteen hundred. It would be very easy for everyone to space themselves out. Yes, all. there's no problem in the line at all. As I said, PJ, we were doing the guidelines, the face mask, uh, washing the hands and yeah. sterilised a whole lot. But uh, it was broken. It's just disgrace, like, to see this happening to the people. Like, why should the elderly always have to suffer Especially for the first lockdown and then for the second, you know? Yeah. Tom like, was making the point on the phone. He said, besides all of this, there are no church-based infections as far as he's aware. Banning masks That's right. doesn't yeah, actually I make sense. That as well also. Like, so there's no excuse for it, you know. We just wish Plus you can have a funeral mass, you can have a wedding mass. That's correct. But you say, why well, is this being cut out then? Do you know, that's all they had at the end of the day. And he used to get them up, get them out. It was good for their health. Is she okay? Like, is she getting a bit depressed because of it? She is, sorry. Yeah. Because, like, we were just saying that was our routine every morning, you know? Yeah. It's sad. It actually is very sad to see this happening to people. Like, there's people out there who don't want to go to Mass. I'm not saying anything about that. That's their religion. We're Catholic and we're only just saying what we feel, what's yeah. going on. That's the way we were reared. That's the way we were brought up, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. My own my own mum loves her Mass and gets it every day on her iPad. Would, would prefer to be going to the church. 
must I prefer to go to, the, to go to the church, but she gets it's really sad, down, isn't yeah. it? Very sad, PJ. Like to you know that they all take advantage of the elderly. Like as I said, someone has to stand up for them. You know, they're yeah. just walking over people. I know. You know? A funny, a funny one actually. Before I let you go, Veronica, I was up. I called. You know, in between the time there when we could start calling to the beginning, I called up to my mother of an evening time when we sat. We were sitting well and truly socially distanced in the kitchen, having a cup of coffee and catching up on the the day and the week. And she was finding out everything. And then all of a sudden, she looks at her iPad and she goes, "You can f off now. I'm going to mass." Jesus, <laughs> well, we, it was we had a great laugh Don't over it. it. Like you can f off now and go to mass. But they live alone for the mass. They do. They love know? it. They do. They do. They love like, it. Listen, like, 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 I hope things will change yeah. for them. Like, it would be nice. Know? I think it would be nice to see to see people able to go to mass. All right, for why? Because it matters an awful lot. It to, does, of course. It means an awful lot to people, like, you know. And, like, even people I'd be talking to there now, well done, Veronica, for going on over the year. I never went on the radio in my whole life. Well, you you've know? done a good so, job on it this morning. You've made a case that a lot of people agree with. Veronica, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks very much. Thanks, PJ. Delighted. I look after And, and my, okay. best to your, my best to your mom, yeah? Thanks, PJ. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. The Executive Research Desk informs me. It's an online channel with religious services available on an app or on a telephone call. You can ring in to Mass. <laughs> I died a disc in the 80s. God almighty, Fergal, where do you, your memory bank? Dial a disc, yeah, that was a thing. You could ring in and you could listen to a song on the radio or on the phone. Jenny, God, how we've... Now we have Spotify. 1850-715-996. You can have... A wedding mass, but not a communion mass of any type, even with restricted numbers. What sense does that make? A lot of people didn't have confirmations yet either because the lockdown came and the confirmations were delayed. You could have a funeral mass, but you can't have a regular mid-morning mass with any number, any reduced number of people in it, which is, it's a fair point. If it means something to you, and to an awful lot of people, it certainly does. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Everyman presents Magella Cullen with John O'Brien as part of Play It By Ear, a programme of shows for the Everyman stage that are available on live audio broadcast. It takes place on Thursday, November 5th, and you can check out everymancork.com for more details. Access all areas. Legendary Australian band Crowded House have announced a rescheduled show for Cork when they're set to play live at the Marquee on June 28th next year. They join a growing list of shows that have been reset for the summer, including Pet Shop Boys and Jenny Green. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 On Cork's 96FM. We'll be talking about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and them winning the presidential election in the States after 11. But Morris, you wanted to make the point that uh, not everybody's happy about this. Good morning. No, 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 that's not what I said at all. I said not everybody in Ireland would be a supporter of Joe Biden and his policies. Please. Oh, I'd be very sure of that, yeah. I've heard an awful lot of Trump supporters on this programme over the years. Yeah, like, like I, I, I just believe, like, in the last few weeks, even to the run-up to the election, if COVID had never happened... 
Trump would have probably won by a landslide. He was a slam, uh, a slam dunk without COVID. I'd give you that as as a watcher yeah. of the of the thing. I, I'd give you that, yeah. So, like, like even on Saturday, there, like, we 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 had a, a, a politician from the Green Party put up like a tweet how he ridiculed Trump and now is like the world is a better place for more open and transparent politics and things like that. Like, and that same politician will will roll into the dial in the morning, know, and support Leo Varadkar, you know. Mm. And I, I just think the two-faced arrogance of the Irish media when it comes to Trump is just is sickening at times, like, especially for our national, over our national broadcaster there last week. Like, like right up until uh, last Thursday, like, they had four people on the show last Thursday, and every single one of them was a Joe Biden supporter. Well, I, well, you know? I, I don't uh, know the show you're talking about. We've always striven to balance it here, and there's plenty of Trump supporters around if you want to give them a space on the radio. But, but what do you, like, why do you think, that, like, for example, I mean, do you think what he's doing now and talking about challenging the result and legal challenges? No, up that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Okay. He's a sore loser there, and I'd be the first to admit that. And, and is it, I, it, do you agree that he polarised the country? But should I call, like, 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 like how, how did he polarise it? He doubled his vote with black males. He, he, he increased his vote by nearly 20% with people from Latin America countries. Well, his vote was huge up on the last time, so as you, as, as you increase the vote, all categories will come up. Yeah, but, 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 but like for someone that's, someone that's called a misogynist, a racist, and a white supremacist, surely his vote should have collapsed in those communities. I mean, we, we're over on the other side of the world here, PJ, and we really don't get what's going on over there. That's a great point, Morris, and I'm glad you made it because I have a great friend who is living in America for the last 30-odd years and always says to me, Paige, when you're covering the, con- the, the politics, be damn careful where you're getting your information from. Exactly, and like we, we have this attitude. Like, like I could imagine like Trump being interviewed by RT in the morning and they would pillar him from, from, from one section of the building to the other, right? And they'd roll in one of the Clintons then, and all they'd be talking about is Bill, Hillary, and the grandchildren. You know? I mean, that's, that's our media here at the moment. It's the same with the COVID, right? Everything last week was about around the Trump rallies, how they were super spreaders. I don't know, did anyone see the, the, the celebrations in the big cities on Saturday night there in America? Well, there was but one on that on Saturday night who was very questionable. Exactly, right? yeah. Like, did anyone criticise that? No, because if you're from a different side of the narrative, you don't deserve that criticism. It's as simple as that, PJ. Like, like I, I just think, for, like, I didn't look at Trump as the man at all. I looked at Trump with his policies, okay? He kept a lot of peace in this world in the last four years. Right? He stood up to China when China are actually ridiculing the, the egos at the moment. Right? I mean, the stuff that's going on there is, is just ridiculous. But he stood up to the Chinese. He stood up to them and he told them that your human rights and, and the way they treat people is ridiculous. You know, but no one supported him in doing this. He kept the Israelis on a leash, right? And you're watching the next four years. Well, he now, also moved, now in fairness, he also very controversially moved an embassy and caused an awful lot of people to be very upset by that. He should yeah, not have done that. Yeah, yeah, right, I agree with you. He shouldn't have done it. But, like, like that, I, I look at, I, 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 as I said, I look at the man's policies in a broader sense rather than the man as an individual, PJ. And that's what the White House is about. Like, don't believe for one moment that Joe Biden is going to go in there and get his own way. Oh, listen to me. The gushing about Joe Biden, while a lot of people are very delighted about it, I'm kind of saying, all right, I'm bored with it now. It's over. We have a result. Move on. But a lot of people don't seem to think like that. And we we might explore that a bit after 11. But, Morris, 
how much, like, if we were to... Oh, this is a crazy situation now, but I'm going to ask you. If we had our own vote nationally as a, as a state of the United States... I mean, imagine oh, if we... Well, could have been well, a, a landslide for Biden, because Ireland, Ireland is a Democrat kind of country anyway. Sure, would sure, you think? Sure, which, uh, I, I, Ireland is a Democratic country. No, a Democrat kind of country, as in we always seem to favour the Democrats in American politics. Well, would you, well, would well, you agree? No, no, we would have been Glover or Ronald Reagan in the 80s. That's because he was in Tipperary. Like, that's the, <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look, we're just getting back to one, one, one aspect of how Ireland treats America and they treat the person rather than the president who's in the office, right? A couple of years ago when Trump came to Ireland with Mike Pence, okay? And I leave you with this kind of thought knowing you, your listeners can, can take sure. what they want, right? Michael D. Higgins never invited him up to Leinster House. Uh, invited him anywhere. I never made an effort to go down to Clare to see him, right? Do you know who Michael D. Higgins had up in Leinster House or up in the Arles the same day that uh, Trump was down in Doombeg? Go on, tell me. Jeremy Carbon. Yeah, and we well. all know what happened to Jeremy Carbon last week. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Morris, good point. Thank you very much. I'm only cutting you because of time. We're over time as it is. But look, we'll discuss this and the rise of Biden and the demise of Trump in a bit more detail between 11 and 10. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Do you know what's amusing uh, is that you even take someone on the phone who has a bit of time for Trump as a president, not necessarily a supporter in Morris's case, but wants to look at it in a level of perspective. You even do that and, and people get cross with him. Kevin makes the point, which is a fair a fair point and a valid one. Trump launched more drone strikes in four years than Obama launched in eight. But who needs facts? That is true. That is true. He, I would still say, and a lot of the observers would still agree with me, that had it not been for COVID-19, now it's a big had it not been, and if only, you know, if, if, if my aunt had something else, she'd be my uncle, do you know what I mean? But if there had been no COVID-19, I would have put money on Trump for a second term. And it wasn't that they trust Joe Biden more with COVID-19. It's just that the wheels came off the Trump machine pretty much over COVID. Because when the CNN exit poll was announced the other night, it feels like a month ago now, and you saw the economy coming up on top, that told me there and then that it would be a much closer election than people were saying. Now, in the end, because of all the postal voting and the, the mail-in balloting, Biden pulled away comfortably. But it was much tighter than people thought it was going to be. But there were some joyous scenes on Saturday night. Not so much in America, but there was people all over social media here saying they were in tears of joy and doing little happy dances up and down and, and all of this. And look, Joe Biden has very strong Irish roots. I made some notes on them over the weekend. They're extremely strong Irish roots. So when he was asked the other night for a few words for the BBC, he said, why the BBC? I'm Irish. People loved him for that. But let's look back on the moment it all happened on Saturday night when it became inevitable that he would be the president-elect. It all started with a phone call. You're going to be the 
next president of the United States. <laughs> what a testament it is to Joe's character that he had the audacity to break one of the most substantial barriers that exists in our country and select a woman as his vice president. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. We have elected a president who represents the best in us, a leader the world will respect and our children will look up to, a commander-in-chief who will respect our troops and keep our country safe, and a president for all Americans. Folks, the people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we the people. We've won with the most votes ever cast on presidential ticket in the history of the nation, 74 million. Well, I must admit it surprised me. Tonight, we're seeing all over this nation, all cities and all parts of the country, indeed across the world, an outpouring of joy, of hope, renewed faith, and tomorrow, bring a better day. And I'm humbled by the trust and confidence you placed in me. And now together, on Eagle's Wings, we embark on the work that God and history have called upon us to do. With full hearts and steady hands, with faith in America and in each other, with love of country, a thirst for justice. Let us be the nation that we know we can be. A nation united, a nation strengthened, a nation healed. The United States of America, ladies and gentlemen, there's never, never been anything we've tried we've not been able to do. So remember, as my grandpa, our grandpa used to say when I walked out of his home, when I was a kid up in Scranton, he said, Joey, keep the faith. And our grandmother, when she was alive, she yelled, no, Joey, spread it. Spread the faith. God love you all. May God bless America and may God protect our church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was just looking for an excuse to use the full-length version of the West Wing theme, and I think that was an excuse to use the full-length version of the West Wing theme. Dramatic, a fine speech, it has to be said, on Saturday night, both by both himself and uh, Kamala Harris before him. Larry Donnelly, uh, of course, we spoke to Larry uh, during the week, and a registered Democrat, and I suppose, Larry, Larry, we always introduce you that way, because I guess you'd be, you would be absolutely delighted for Joe Biden, I take it. Good morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 happy that Joe Biden is president. I, you know, I, I'm I'm happy that the uh, the Trump presidency is over. It's a, in my view, a dark chapter in American history. Leaving aside issues, I think the way he conducted himself uh, was demeaning of the office. Um, and I think Joe Biden will restore a sense of uh, integrity and decency and honor um, to the presidency. And I think that that's to be welcomed. But I, I, I will say that. Uh, um, this, or in an overarching sense, it is a feat to knock off an incumbent president. It doesn't mm. happen uh, very often. How but, often does uh, it happen? It's only nine or ten times, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 actually kind of a blip to do so. I mean, we saw uh, 
George Bush Sr. Uh, was the last one uh, who didn't get two terms. And then before that, Jimmy Carter uh, only got one term. So generally speaking, presidents do get uh, two terms, but um, this this time around was the exception rather than the rule. Um, and again, it was pointed to very strongly by a lot of commentators and by the opinion polls, uh, but this race was a lot closer uh, than a lot of people anticipated. In the end, the mail-in ballots pulled it away for Joe Biden. Is it that Democrats vote by post and Republicans don't? Yeah, that was the um, that was what was what was widely anticipated was that both uh, early postal voting and early in person voting uh, would favor the Democratic Party. That Republicans would uh, you know would would vote on the day. Uh, that's down to a number of different considerations. One of which was that uh, you know the polling again is suggested that Republicans were less concerned about um, the COVID uh, about contracting COVID and were, were more willing to uh, take the risk, as it were. Uh, and go to a crowded polling place on election day. Um, there were the other factors there were that people of color and young people uh, were more likely to avail of these new options uh, for voting, um, and that seems to have been borne out by the statistics. Yeah, there was a they're calling it the red mirage now that it looked like it was so close and they might even win on polling day. But people were the more sort of nuanced commentators saying, wait. Wait, wait until they count all the all the postal votes. Yeah, the postal votes are definitely what did it. But uh, that having been said, uh, I you know the the idea that that the mirage, that the that there was a red mirage, I think oversimplifies the results here. This was neck and neck. I mean, if you look at places like Michigan uh, and Wisconsin, people are saying is if Joe Biden you know restored the blue wall and you know the, these states are now. Uh, firmly in Democratic hands. Uh, that's just not true. They were they were very very close. And yeah. again, before last time around, uh, those two states hadn't gone for a Republican for president since the 1980s. So I think Donald Trump uh, again, you need to give the devil his due. And as well, um, you know, increased turnout. The record, the turnout numbers were record. And in that vein, you would think it would be a Democratic landslide. But Donald Trump actually increased his vote total. And most, you know, again, just to, to note this again because it's significant. Yeah. His but his vote totals with millennials went up by 7% in a, it, when more of them turned out. And they also, uh, he got 34% of the Latino votes. So this was on all, I mean, you know, despite his protests and his horrible behavior since, this was a pretty good day for Donald Trump. He had not only a, a massively increased vote, but a very, was it a surprise that he increased it by so much, Larry? Uh, I mean, I, I personally was surprised. I mean, we saw what I think happened was this was up until a couple of weeks before the election, uh, Biden was on target for a pretty good, decisive victory. Uh, I think the president clawed it back in the last couple of weeks. I think his performance in the second debate uh, was much better than in the first. And he got back in the past, in the last two weeks to those themes that work and resonate with the American people, whether you like it or not. This idea of socialism as the bogeyman, uh, the idea that, you know, Democrats would tax you into oblivion, uh, ruin your private health care plans, that Biden may be a centrist, but it was actually the far left who'd be calling the shots, uh, and that that would lead to uh, inner city violence spilling out in the suburbs. Those themes and distracting people from COVID, I think, uh, worked for Trump. 
uh, in the closing days. And, to, and what's more, uh, they actually worked for Republicans down the ticket. Uh, the Republican Party, in my view, won this election in an overarching sense. If you look at the Senate, the House, and what happened at state level, uh, Republicans had a decidedly better term, better day than the, the Democrats yeah. did. Yeah, a good point. And I think as well as that, Larry, you know, those of us who are election watchers and who sat up, but also that huge group of new observers that this last week, I think it's shone a spotlight on the American electoral system for and, and put it under a magnifying glass. And that we realize it is what it is, but it's ancient and it's flawed. Well, it, you know, again, it, I, I'm, I'm that odd kettle of fish. I mean, it's like you introduced me as a registered Democrat. My party is calling for uh, huge changes to the American system. Both they want the Electoral College done away with. And, and a new one on me uh, is that they're disputing uh, the United States Senate as an institution in that all 50 states each have two representatives in it, no matter how small or how large. And the contention being that that's less than Democratic. Um I don't subscribe to those theories. I actually think that these institutions have served uh, the United States very well. Uh, and I think that if you look at the the, the, the size of the United States, uh, the diverse character of its terrain and of its people, uh, I think that the Electoral College model, as much as it's being criticized, mm. uh, actually suits well. And, and, you know, to those who say that they want to do away with um, the Electoral College or uh, the United States Senate, that is, they want California to have 10 seats uh, and Idaho, Idaho to have none. Uh, if you think the United States is divided now, if you got your way, you would see division on a scale that would be unprecedented. And in my view, you would see potentially successful secession movements. Yeah. Is there any possibility at all, Larry, that Trump will dig in his heels and refuse to leave the White House, triggering a major crisis? He can refuse to leave the White House all he wants. Uh, you know, there's nothing in the Constitution about the White House. Uh, the Constitution says that Joe Biden becomes president on the 20th uh, of January, one way or another. Uh, so he can throw a strop and do everything he likes. And now I don't expect that he'll take it that far, but God only knows at this stage. Um, but Joe Biden will, one way or another, take the presidency. Uh, I do worry, you know, Donald Trump is the United States president until the 20th of January next year. I do worry what he might be capable of. Uh, my only uh, wish on that front, and I, I suppose it's a strange wish, but that if he wants to have a future, and the uh, and the the you know there are rumors that he is going to seek the presidency again, or that he wants to keep a public profile, or that perhaps his son might uh, run for the nomination next time. If he wants any of that stuff, uh, doing something rash uh, would probably damage his standing and damage his chances. So I'm hopeful uh, that that will be a deterrent effect to uh, anything crazy emanating from the White House in the next 70 days or whatever it is. Why does it take that long? Voting on the 3rd of November, inauguration on the 20th, 21st of January. Is that is that a throwback to, to the old days when the, the members of the Electoral College lived so far away from Washington, D.C., and some of them came there by stagecoach, that in order to formally declare the president, it could took many weeks for them to get there? Or is that just a, a myth? And no, 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 you're, you're actually, you're actually onto something there. Um, the, it used to be, it actually, January is actually a relatively new wrinkle. It actually used to be March that the, the new term would begin. And it is exactly for the reasons you said that, you know, people would be coming on stage coaches or, or even walking part of the journey, you know, way back in the day. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what it's down to. I think it's, it's persisted now because, 
Um, I suppose the the amount of groundwork and everything else that needs to be laid, uh, I think that the incoming presidents will probably say it's useful to have that time uh, to have an orderly uh, transition. Now, under ordinary circumstances, we've seen past presidents from both parties being quite magnanimous and generous uh, in aiding that transition to the extent that they possibly can. Uh, I expect that we'll have no such cooperation or, or goodwill extended from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Yeah, we we haven't had the inevitable, uh, about a half an hour ago, I called uh, Vice President Biden and, you know, are we ever going to have the announcement? I called President-elect Biden and congratulated him. Are we going to get that? I I don't know. I mean, if we look at the closing days of this election, you know, I hope we do. I mean, Donald Trump has an awful lot to walk back if he's going to get, going to try to be conciliatory to Joe Biden. I'm sure Joe Biden is a gentleman. I'm sure he would accept it. But just you know, a week before the election, uh, Donald Trump said that Joe Biden was the worst candidate for any office in political history. I mean, that's quite an extraordinary thing uh, to say about somebody, uh, you know, especially somebody with a strong track record like Joe Biden. That's a pretty deeply personal uh, and deeply offensive thing. How you walk that back and have a civil conversation with somebody, uh, I'm not so sure. Now, Trump has no no shame, so uh, he'll probably just he'd probably be able to do it if, if he decides to do so. My expectation is that Donald Trump will leave the White House, uh, but that he'll leave the White House in disgraceful fashion. Yeah. There's a, isn't there a branch of the, the, the civil servants, Larry, at the very top of all of this, a branch of government that formally declares who is president when everything is done, college or whatever, no legal challenges. So that when, every, when, when a new president is formally declared, isn't there a kind of a branch of government that says, right, this is who shall be funded. You will no longer fund Trump and it tells the Secret Service who to protect and it tells transport to be funded and all of that. So at the end of the day, he doesn't have a choice. Well, the, 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 it's the Electoral College that, rat, that meets, that they'll be meeting in mid-December to meet and then ratify um, the result of, the, uh, of what's happened in the states. And that, then, you know, it becomes official uh, at that point in time that, you know, under the re- relevant provisions of the law and indeed uh, Constitution that Joe Biden will be, uh, you know, formally uh, the president-elect until he is actually sworn in uh, on the 20th of January and becomes the next uh, president of the United States. That's the way um, the process unfolds. Now, there's all sorts of, you know, because this is uncharted waters, you know, when we get into speculation about whether Trump will leave the White, o- White House or whatever he might do, uh, it's uncharted waters. And there's all, actually all sorts of debate uh, pop- popping up among legal scholars and others uh, about what happens in all of this. Uh, I'm hopeful we don't get to that stage, but uh, I'd be lying if I could give you definitive answers mm. on exactly how it breaks down if they have to drag the guy out of the White House. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who would take that uh, that task on it. Indeed, um, there was evidently uh, evidently behind the scenes some kind of tussle uh, between the U.S. Marshals Service uh, and the Secret Service as to who would do the job when and if the time comes. Finally, how important to him is Joe Biden's Irishness, Larry? I think it's hugely important. I think manifestly it's hugely important. I mean, he quotes Heaney every chance he gets. Uh, he talks about Ireland. He talks about his Irish background uh, a lot. Uh, the extent to which that'll play a role in public policy uh, it remains uncertain. But, um, you know, look, he has pledged pretty strongly that he's not going to uh, play ball uh, with the U.K. Uh, if uh, it, in the context of, of a trade deal. Uh, if Brexit in any way uh, hampers or impedes upon 
um, the Good Friday Agreement. And I, you know, I take him at his word that he means that. Uh, and lastly, just just on a lighter note, one of the Go things ahead. I think is going to be pretty funny to watch uh, is the tug of war between Mayo and Loud uh, over their favorite son in the White House. Now, I don't think they'll give each other an inch on that front. I would think not, Larry. Thank you as always, Larry Donnelly. Uh, he's a Boston attorney uh, practices uh, on both sides of the Atlantic and lectures in Galway, University of Galway, and an expert in the American political system, as you've heard. Let's look at Joe Biden's Irishness, will we? Will we? There was a great piece in the Irish Times, actually, over the weekend, which which went through it. Have you ever wondered, like, just how Irish is the guy? Well, in 1850, a man called Patrick Blewett emigrated from County Mayo and settled in Scranton in Pennsylvania. He had a son called Edward, born in New Orleans in 1859. Edward was an engineer and was elected to the state in the early 1900s. He then married a woman called Mary Ellen Stanton. They had four children. His daughter Geraldine married a man called Ambrose Finnegan in 1917. And their daughter, Jean Finnegan, was Joe's mother. And on the other side couple called Owen Finnegan and Jean Boyle, they emigrated to USA from County Loud in the 1840s with their four children. Their son James is Joe Biden's great-grandfather. James's son Ambrose was born in Scranton. Ambrose then married Geraldine Blewett, as we heard previously. And one of their children, Jean, was Joe's mother. And she married Joseph R. Biden Sr. in Wilmington, Delamere, in 1941. So he's, he's fairly Irish, but whether Loud and Mayo will toss a coin, play a game of football, or just bait each other for the rights, I don't know. But both sides, both Mayo and Loud, can claim direct blood links to President Biden. 1857-15996. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. Helping the homeless has never been more important. The Briar Rose and Douglas are proud to be lending a hand through their Reach Out to Another campaign. On the last Sunday of every month in the run-up to Christmas, they'll be hosting a collection point outside the Briar Rose and are asking people within five kilometres of the venue to donate sandwiches, crisps, fruit and other snacks, as well as warm winter clothes in good condition for both men and women. The collection will be taking place between midday and four on Sunday the 29th of November. Staff members from the Briar Rose will be volunteering their time to run the collection point and hand out the donations the next day on Oliver Plunkett Street outside the GPO. For more information, search for the Briar Rose Douglas on Facebook and Instagram. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie this is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. There's a little bit of terminology, actually. I'm interested in a conversation also over the weekend about the terminology with regard to Joe Biden. Uh, we're all calling him President-Elect. We're leaving a bit out, actually. It's putative, President-elect. He isn't actually President-elect until the Electoral College elects him. So he isn't, yet. He has won the election at this point in time. And he has succeeded the vote, or succeeded in getting the, the Electoral College votes. But until that college actually casts their vote, 
or casts its vote, he is not yet the president-elect. It's worth pointing it out. It's an interesting uh, variation, but words are important, as they say. Now, back in 2016, when he was when he was vice president to Obama, um, a number of young, politically motivated people had an opportunity to meet him in the U.S. Embassy in Dublin. And there wasn't a very, big, very, very big group, actually. It was only about 20 people. And Jess, you were one of them. Good morning. Morning, PJ. I was. I was one of 25. There were 75 of us on the U.S. Embassy's Youth Council and 25 of us were chosen to meet him. I remember you on Facebook and at the time and calling me excited beyond reason that you were going to meet Joe Biden. Well, what kind of... Describe what happened. Oh, I was, I was actually in an awful way. It was very... It's funny now looking back on it, like... Um, so, yeah, so I suppose it would have been around the time that... you remember he came to visit and he gave that big speech in uh, Dublin Castle. Yeah. So I would have been there, obviously, on, on the Friday. Like, obviously, lots of people were there and it was on TV and stuff. But as part of the US Embassy's Youth Council, we were given... Um, an opportunity to meet him the following day in the ambassador's residence out in the Phoenix Park. So, um, yeah, so, like, obviously, like, it was kind of weird. He had to be security cleared and, you know, you had to write a bio about yourself that they were going to give to Joe Biden and all this kind of stuff. And I think at the time we had to submit questions as well um, that we could ask him, you know, obviously they all had to be vetted. Mm. You thought then, going into this, Asher to be just a fellow speaking and maybe shaking hands, but he'd read all these blog, these these biogs. Oh yeah, like he, um, so like it was it was kind of weird. So obviously, you know that that morning we, um, I think we had to meet in the centre of Dublin. They took us on a bus out to um, the ambassador's residence, um, and then we had to get on a different bus that was cleared by the. Secret Service. You see, I suppose to an Irish person, it's so strange to us, but I don't know, maybe in America they're used to that. Um, so we were all, you know, like had to show our passports and stuff. Um, and we were brought into um, a reception room. Um, now, I'd been in that reception room before because they would have they would have held events there before. Um, and I was kind of saying, oh, like, you know, the ambassador will probably come in with him and speak for a few minutes and Joe will thank us for being there and they'll move to the next room. But um, no, it was actually kind of weird how it happened because I suppose we were all in there mingling and all of a sudden one of the doors at the end of the room was open and we just saw Joe Biden pass. Um, he wasn't even in a suit. He was after going out for a run. Do you know, like it was <laughs> it was so strange because it's such a normal thing to do and you're like, lads, is, is that actually the vice president out running in his Nikes? Do you know that kind of way? <laughs> it was so strange. But um, so obviously we knew he was going to come down to us then. So we were, um, I think they took the photo first where we were all kind of, you know, placed, seating or standing um, and Joe got into the photo with us. Um, and then we were all, we all kind of sat around um, around him and the ambassador at the time. Um, and he, he, uh, he just said, he just started talking about what he was doing there, why he had an interest in Irish politics. He talked a bit about the Good Friday Agreement and how that was, a big deal for America. And, you know, he kept saying, you know, I've read your guys' bios, you're all leaders in your own right. And, like, he actually referenced some of the things that he'd read. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it wasn't like, I read them and he didn't. It was it was a case of, like, he obviously 
knew yeah. who he was going in to meet, which, like, when you think about it, the Vice President of the United States. Yeah. Like, did, did, you get a, did you get a little one-to-one, face-to-face with him? Yeah, so I think, was it at the start of the end? I actually can't remember. But um, he went round and obviously shook each of our hands and said, you know, um, like, I know when he came to me, he said, oh, you're Jessica. And I said, uh, yes, I am. Pleasure to meet you. And um, he told me to keep up the hard work with, the hard work that I do for people with disabilities. Like, one of the girls that was next to me, um, he said that he was really interested in the work she did uh, with Cunra uh, Naguelga. So he had clearly read this stuff. Like, yeah. And obviously, you see, when we sent in those bios, we had to send in passport photos with them. So, like, they obviously went through it with him. And, you know, there was one part as well. Obviously, the, the, entire, um, the entire residence was full. And we knew, we could obviously hear that there was a room full of people next to us. And at one stage, the Secret Service kind of said to him, you know, um, Vice President, we need, to, we need to move along. We're half an hour late. And he actually turned around to the guy and he was like, it's okay, man, I, I, I want to spend my time here and we'll go in there when we're ready. And I just kind of thought, like, you know, like there was dignitaries and people far more important than 25 young Irish people that were waiting for him in the next room. But he really took the time to speak to us and to see us and to hear us, yeah. which is very hard to get from some politicians. Like, you did like, a little happy like, dance, I'd say, Saturday, did you? Oh, my God, it was unbelievable. Like, we have a family group chat. My uncle is in the States, um, and we have a family group chat, and I kept sending in the photos of me with Joe Biden. I was like, that's just me there now, hanging out with the future president. And, you know, now the slagging you'd be getting, like, but um, (laughs) I was delighted because I suppose, you know, it was like I've I've met different politicians in my time in various levels of government, and... Like meeting Joe, it wasn't like meeting a politician. It was like meeting a person. Do you know he was he was so genuine, and I don't think that's something you can put on. To be honest, like whatever people think about his politics, like that man has has had a number of personal um, tragedies that he's had to face and overcome. Do you know what I mean? And I I think that kind of that adds that adds to to like I suppose the fact that someone could be down to earth and mm. they don't get carried away with, with where they are or the position that they're in you know mm. One question Jess, during the campaign there was some of these videos went around of him around young women did you feel remotely uncomfortable around him? No, not a bit Yeah, some of those, not videos, a bit. Some of those videos were strange and they were used by his opponents to try and do him down but you didn't certainly feel remotely uncomfortable no? No, no, not at all. And he, like, he was right next to us. It wasn't the case of the Secret Service for, for standing in between. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't feel a, a bit uncomfortable. Now I will say I haven't seen those videos, but I, I wasn't really keeping up with the election on the Biden side. I was more interested in those hilarious press conferences that Donald Trump was given every day. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be some bites and clips coming out of those for years. All right, listen, yeah. Jess. What you should do now? Write to him. What? Yeah, you know what? I actually said to my parents the other day, I'll be 30 next year. And I was like, guys, that's what you'll have to get a letter from him, yeah. <laughs> if, if I know anyone can wheedle that out of him, it's you. Jess, thanks very much. 1850-715-996. Met the now president. Yeah, he isn't president. And it's true, even the media are guilty of this. He's been using the president or the president-elect term has been used for him all weekend. He isn't president-elect until... The college 
finally has its vote until all the law or all the legal possible legal challenges are done and dusted and done away with and until a thing called the General Services Agency accepts him as president. That's the agency then that divvies out the money and decides who the Secret Service will pledge their allegiance to for the next four years. The term president-elect, it's, it's normally used on the night of the election. So when president-elect is used, remember there's a little silent word in there, putative. Now it's a bit, it's a word you couldn't be thrown into every time you read it out. But he's not actually president-elect yet. Listen, if you came for trivia, you got it. We brought this up when we were talking to Chris Luke earlier on this morning. Um, now, Dr. Gabriel Scally, yes, you'll know him from the cervical check inquiry and all of that. But Dr. Scally is president of the Epidemiology and Public Health section of the Royal Society of Medicine. So public health is his baby. And COVID-19 is his thing and has been his thing for the last few months. He, Marty, you're now reporting through their health correspondent, Fergal Bowers, that there is a real concern now that if the new strain of COVID-19 that has been discovered in mink in Denmark should become dominant, then a lot of the work done so far with vaccines will be for nothing and their effectiveness will be greatly reduced. That's worrying. That's worrying. And he's not a man who speaks out lightly. So this thing you've heard about from Denmark, where it's in mink, it's a new version of it affecting mink in Denmark. If that gets out and gets becomes dominant, we could be in trouble. At the moment, they're bringing it under control. But it's worth watching, which we will do. 1850 It's a big week for Douglas. A big week for Douglas, culminating on Thursday. We'll go there next. Question number 10. Which male name is the title to the debut album released by Amy Winehouse? Oh my God, I know this. Um, Frank? You have just won 2,000 no way. euro. Jim has just been in touch. Jim, you remind me of something I forgot to mention or I might have mentioned. I can't remember at this stage. It's been a busy morning for a Monday. Different subject, PJ. Could you get some clarification on the law in Cork City on drinking in a public place or on the streets? Because it certainly was going on all over the city centre. Buddy Wine rang me on Friday evening. He was on his way home from work and he'd passed down by electric there, by the park near electric. And he said there must have been a 100 or 200 people. Now, he said they were in distanced little groups, but they were there and there were slogan drinks, slogan pints there that Saturday, Friday evening. Someone else told me that they walked down Corn Market Street over the weekend and there were loads of people there. 
having got takeaway food from the restaurants and got some takeaway points with them that were sitting around drinking. Now, there was one suggestion made that maybe they were just getting points and not food. No one's been able to verify that. But there was certainly a lot of street drinking going on on Friday evening and Saturday evening around the city. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Jim. That's not supposed to be happening in Level 5. In Douglas on Thursday, Alistair Spink is just one of a number of business people who will raise the shutters one more time on, in his case, Puccino's in Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Alistair, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. My favourite breakfast and coffee, and I'm not just buttering you up. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I love the place, and, I can, and we miss it desperately, the, our family. We can't wait to get back there. But it's a huge week for Douglas. The shopping. I, I presume you've been in and walking around. We haven't been in much, actually, because it's, it's effectively been a building site. We've had our operations manager, Joe, um, looking after everything, who's been working his socks off uh, to get everything ready. Um, and the, the centre, it, it's been quite tough for the centre because they had to set a date to open and I think they found there's an awful lot of work to do. So everybody's uh, really jumping through hoops um, to get everything finished on time. Um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll, we'll uh, be there on Thursday morning. Our own particular issue is trying to get the ESB connected, for example, but um, hopefully we'll get everything sorted and uh, we'll be there to grease everybody. Now, will Pochinos be in the same place as it was pre pre the fire? Yeah, we'll be open just for takeaway, obviously, in yeah. Level 5. Um, we're, we're hopeful um, that we'll be able to get to Level 2 on the 1st of December when we'll have socially distanced uh, seating. But if not, then uh, we're trying takeaway. So you can have a full menu uh, that we do in, in takeaway. And we're going to be introducing a click and collect system shortly. So you'll be able to get your full Irish breakfast to take home yeah. and um, hopefully enjoy it there. There's a huge excitement about this because not only did we have the fire in August of 2019, but then just as the building was getting properly underway, COVID hit and put the kibosh in everything for weeks. Absolutely, and we had the flood uh, in 2012 as well, so it's been a bit of a rocky road. Yes, it has. Yes. Um, it, it's a brilliant shopping centre, and uh, it's it's got a real community feel to it. You know, we're there since 2004, and there's a few traders who are there a good while longer than that. And um, you know, we would have people coming in twice a day just for a chat, sit down, have a cup of tea. And um, the whole centre, I think, is, was, was really buzzing before... Um, the, the fire and then obviously before COVID. Um, so we're really hopeful that it'll get back to how it was. It, it, it's a brilliant centre and I think it'll do really well um, once everything's back to normal. Yeah, which hopefully will be very, very soon. It, it was so important to get down from level five to level two in time for Christmas, for not just for a restaurant like your own, but for every other kind of a business too, trying to get back on their feet. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that the government can, can get us to level two for December because I think they're trying to get to level three so people can buy Christmas presents. But a whole big part of Christmas is people celebrating together uh, in pubs and restaurants and cafes, um, people going out in, you know, in a small party, in a small group. Obviously, things are going to be different this year to how they are normally, but um, it's very much part of the Christmas spirit. You know, it's our busiest time by by miles in, in December normally. 
Um, and I think it would really sort of give the country a lift and a boost if we're all able just to do a little bit of socialising and, and enjoying some good food and drink. All right. Well, I wish you and your staff, your wonderful staff, the very best of luck, Alistair, with the reopening. And we'll be talking to more business people and more people connected to Douglas Village Shopping Centre during the week and particularly on Thursday. Take care now. Brilliant. Thanks, PJ. Take care. All the best. Good Bye. luck. That's Alistair Spink of Puccino's Cafe in Douglas Village Shopping Centre. They're opening for takeaway only on Thursday, but they hope to get back to sit-down dining under level two. Another COVID story. This is The Guardian... Uh, reporting now that the latest tests on the Pfizer vaccine this is the one this is, this is the one that's rock and roll is that it'll be 90% effective that's huge that's huge we'll hear more about that I suspect in the next uh, day or two now that all of course is dependent on keeping this mink thing in Denmark under control. Mary says, we're always a day late and a dollar short with COVID-19. Now is the time to be inspecting mink farms and figuring out what we would do about the wild ones in terms of monitoring for infection and control. We do have some mink farms in Ireland. I'm not too sure we have too many, but we used to have them up around the border. We used to have mink farms. They're savages like, they're savage little buggers. You don't want to get in a tight corner with a mink. But this thing coming out of Denmark is very worrying and Dr. Gabriel Scali has been explaining just how worrying it could well be. So we have to keep an eye on that. But the great news coming through from Pfizer being reported in The Guardian is that the COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer is 90% effective. We live in hope. Executive Research Desk tells me there are three four farms in the country, one in Donegal, one in Leash and one in Derry. Thank you guys at short notice. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.